Welcome to Brighton Road Baptist Church. My name is Tim Carter. I'm here with our harvest display, which is all stuff that you have collected for the Horsham Food Bank. Thank you so much for all your donations. We belong to a generous God. God has provided all this, and he's given us more than enough resources ourselves, so we have something to share. And he's shared with us his generous spirit, which means we have given gladly. You know, Jesus said, giving gifts brings far more blessing than just receiving them. It's part of the way we're wired, part of the way we're made in God's image. So, to those of you who have contributed to our Harvest Display, thank you so much for sharing God's goodness in this way. We worship a generous God together this morning.
Who is wise and understanding among you? Show by your good life that your works are done with gentleness, born of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not be boastful and false to the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, devilish. For where there is envy and selfish ambition, there will also be disorder and wickedness of every kind. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without trace of partiality or hypocrisy, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace for those who make peace. Those conflicts and disputes among you, where do they come from? Do they not come from your cravings that are at war within you? You want something and you do not have it, so you commit murder. And you covet something and you cannot obtain it, so you engage in disputes and conflicts. You do not have because you do not ask. change your mind about something. I'm not talking about little things like what to wear or what to have for dinner. Have you ever changed your mind in a way that completely and utterly turned your life around? In that passage, James contrasts two attitudes, two ways of looking at life. One, outlook on life is fueled by a sense of lack. There is bitter envy of what other people have, a permanent sense of dissatisfaction that, that can poison relationships can lead to conflict and even violence. It's like there's a black hole of inadequacy at the core of our lives that just sucks the joy out of everything. Everything's dark and hopeless and pointless. But James contrasts this destructive attitude with one which he says comes from above. One which has a positive outlook on life. One which doesn't complain about what I don't have, but rather asks, what can I do with what God has given me? So let's listen to the story of Patience and Isaac, a young couple in Tanzania whose lives were turned around by a tear fund church and community transformation program. Up until two years ago, every single day was a new battle for Patience and her family in El Wago, Tanzania. But today, things couldn't be more different. Here is her amazing story. Patience and Isaac got married at 18. Neither had any way of making a living and they were struggling to keep themselves and their children alive. Patience had lost all hope and assumed this was how her life would be until she died and that heaven was the only thing her and her family had to look forward to. So they started to go to church and this is where things took an unexpected turn. Patience's Church, supported by a tear fund partner, started a process called Church and Community Transformation, CCT, where people are empowered to grow in the skills and confidence to build their own solutions to lifelong problems. For Patience and Isaac, it was a revelation. We were so amazed when the CCT facilitators talked about God's vision for his people while on earth. We were trained on how to utilise local resources to transform our own lives 
through the potential that God has put in every one that he created. CCT encouraged practical steps, including saving small amounts of money, agricultural training at church, and using time wisely. Patients took a small loan to help with the growing and selling of vegetables. This eventually led to her and her husband, Isaac, launching a new business, selling soup and donuts. Now the business is so busy, Patience employs a local neighbour and no longer considers herself poor, something unbelievable to her and her husband. And Patience says the transformation is still growing. CCT has not only brought physical transformation in my family life, but has also significantly enhanced our spiritual well-being, says Patience. We are now a happy and flourishing family. I have realised there is no one in this world who is born to be poor, but that poverty is a state of mind caused by lack of knowledge, and therefore it's never too late for anyone to realise his or her dreams. Dear God, we praise you for this amazing change in the lives of Patience and her family. Thank you for creating all people with the potential to do great things in and through their lives and the lives of others. We celebrate your church through which your love and transformation can flow and we pray for all those around the world still longing for the opportunity to lift themselves out of poverty. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you.
You know, sometimes we can make the mistake of thinking that the more we have, the happier we'll be. If only we had this, other, the other, everything would be fine. We can sometimes turn in on ourselves and away from other people, closing our eyes and ears to their needs, ignoring what we see, choosing to neglect their request for help because we just want to do our own thing. And we don't find it easy to admit that this is what we're like. But Lord, in this moment, in this place, in this space that we've been given, give us the readiness to confess our failings, our sins, our selfishness. Lord, renew us from the inside out. Set us free from everything that shackles us. Thank you, Lord, that despite what we're like, you love us and care for us and you gave your Son to set us free. Thank you that you are interested in us, even with all our faults and failings. Thank you for being part of our lives, part of our living, for being with us in our, in our hopes and dreams. Thank you for giving us purpose and meaning. Thank you for showing us how to live a life of goodness and truth, a life of caring and sharing, a life that makes a difference. So thank you for all your generosity and abundance even if we sometimes struggle to see that. Thank you, God, for being you. Thank you, God, for being with us. Thank you, Lord, for being more than enough for what we need. Amen.
Dear Lord, uh, I want to thank you for my new heart and uh, say how grateful I am for it and that's amazing. Um, it's really made me think about all the other children who are ill, be that here or in our church. And I want to pray for them and for their families um, that they will feel your presence with them. And yeah. Um, I found this verse. I will give you a new heart, a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove a heart of stone from your flesh and give and give you a heart of flesh. Uh, Ezekiel 36 verse 26. Um, hmm? I want to pray for all the staff at the hospitals that they'll be um, that they continue to be so awesome and caring for all the people and also uh, I want to pray for the chaplaincy teams um, who've been so amazing and encouraging um, yeah Amen Matthew 21, verse 28 to 32. The parable of the two sons. What do you think? There was a man who had two sons. He went to the first and said, Son, go and work today in the vineyard. I will not, he answered. But later he changed his mind and went. Then the father went to the other son and said the same thing. He answered, I will, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did what the father wanted? The first, they answered. Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came to you to show you, to show you the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him, but the tax collectors and the prostitutes did, and even after you saw this, you did not repent and believe him.
Today we continue our series looking at the sayings of Jesus with a passage from Matthew 21 and today we find Jesus in the temple uh, being challenged by the chief priests about the nature of his authority and Jesus refuses to address that question of authority directly and instead tells them a story about a man who has two sons. And the man is the owner of a vineyard and he has two sons that he tells to go and work in the vineyard. And we read that the two sons react very differently to that instruction. And it strikes me that being a parent during lockdown has uh, prepared me fairly well actually for sympathising with the man in this story. Um, And we read about the reactions of the two sons. So the first son, says very defiantly, I will not. But then later he changes his mind and he goes and he does as he's been told. And the second son, a little bit more clever, a little bit more knowing how to please his father very politely, um, says, I will, sir. But then actually doesn't follow through, doesn't go and do as he's been told. And Jesus asks Uh, the uh, audience that he's speaking to which of these did what the father wanted and of course they answer the first and so Jesus begins to unpack for them the meaning of that I on this harvest Sunday I was also interested in the vineyard in the setting and the work that was being done so we'll come back to those two sons in a minute but first of all let's think about the setting let's think about the work that they were being asked to do this work in the vineyard it's not very specific but um, this there should be a recognition I think that the vineyard is a very common theme uh, throughout scripture Uh, I had a little look and I found that there are actually a 108 references to vineyards in scripture very very varied i think we can see this as um a venue for lots of the stories right the way through the old testament for any of you that are actually planning on keeping a vineyard you can find some very detailed and specific instructions in exodus leviticus and deuteronomy about how to keep your vineyard Um, and it's also the setting a lot of the big stories and, and quirky stories throughout the old testament happen in vineyards there's battles that are won by people hiding in vineyards there's some great family sagas uh, fought over vineyards and there's a uh, my favorite little story in a vineyard is where uh, Balaam and his donkey get cornered by an angel with a sword in a vineyard as well so lots of action throughout um, scriptures happens in um, in the vineyards and this theme it seems that whenever they talk about a place or a a settlement we're actually talking about a vineyard and it seems really odd to us doesn't it we don't have vineyards or maybe we do but not not as many and not as successfully as as this this uh, audience would be familiar with but it really struck me just looking through some of those references of vineyards that there's something about a permanent place that comes from planting vines. The vineyard really does show this sense of identity, this sense of belonging and permanence. And for the wandering people of Israel, I think the idea that they had a land and a home of their own, a place they could commit to for a number of years where they could harvest um, uh, fruit from a vine, 
became so so powerful so this idea about the vineyard and god's provision of that place and god's care for the vineyard really gets wrapped up in terms of um, the story of the people of israel with their identity and their relationship with god um king Isaiah even says he loves the lord he loves the soil he loves his vineyard so this this uh imagery very practical actually often but also the imagery um, of the of the provision of God in the in the vineyard, um, and what we also start to th- see as we look through Scripture is there's the provision of the vineyard and the instructions for the care of the vineyard and then as the prophecies start to come and start to warn time and time again um, the people of Israel against turning away from God. This idea that the vineyards could be taken away from them, that foreigners and strangers will be given their vineyard, that the vineyards will be trampled um, by invaders. This becomes a really, really strong imagery right the way through the Old Testament. And and Isaiah 5 really is is where this all kind of uh, culminates and comes together. And I'd really, uh, if you want to follow up after listening to this today, open your Bible at Isaiah 5 and just read through because that really is the story of the whole of the Old and New Testament uh, kind of used uh, using the vineyard to explain the story. So it's the story of a vineyard that has care lavished upon it, that is built, that is provided for and yet still it fails to produce fruit um it doesn't do as the owner hopes and so the owner raises a banner and he calls to the nations and he offers this vineyard to the strangers and the foreigners so that they can go and use it to produce fruit Um, and it really speaks very strongly about this imagery that God is a people who 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 was passionate for the people of Israel, who served them and fought for them and went after them and lavished love and care and attention on them. And yet time and time again, they turned away from him. Maybe like that second son, they were the ones that said the right thing time and time again, but didn't follow through. And in the prophecies of the Old Testament, we see that uh, the prophets like Isaiah say there is a time coming when we will raise a banner and others will be given this uh, vineyard. And that's kind of the ultimate threat, really, for the people of Israel that we see reflected in these stories through the Old Testament, that if they don't take the care that they are being asked to with the things that God has given them, if they don't uh, carefully steward not just the land but their God's promises and um, their relationship with God he will take it away and he will give it to somebody else and so this is the story that Jesus tells when the chief priests are questioning his authority he is reminding them of all of these prophecies he is reminding them that God has given them a promise that they have neglected he is saying to them so clearly you are this second son you are the one that time and time again says the right thing but doesn't do what you are being asked to do and there is a threat um, and a reminder that a time is coming when the opportunity to have that relationship with God will be given more widely than the people of Israel and Jesus in terms of answering the question of his authority 
what bigger authority, what greater claim could he make there that he's saying, I understand this and I interpret it and the time that is coming is right now. And we can read um, in verse 43 of Matthew 21, Jesus says, Therefore I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people who will produce its fruit. And Jesus is saying that it's me that's going to do that. That's the authority that he's taking on for himself. The one who has the power and the authority to give his kingdom away to others who will produce its fruit. And who is it being given to? Well, again, in that end of that passage that we've read this morning, Jesus says the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God. Not just anybody but everybody and those who uh, the uh, chief priests and the Pharisees would consider to be the lowest of the low. And they really fit in, don't they, to this caricature of that first son, the ones who say I will not, the ones who by their life and by their actions look like they are a million miles away from God and his plans and his purposes, yet they change their mind, they later change their mind and at the point of that um, decision they become welcome. And again in terms of his authority Jesus is saying I am the one that has the authority to do that, I am the one that has the authority to take something that was given to the people of Israel and open up the eligibility criteria. It's, it's me that's doing that is what he's saying. So he's taking on this huge huge authority and he's really saying to them as he does time and time again that the scripture is being fulfilled in your hearing that's something he says but it's as if with every parable he tells that's what he's saying the scripture is being fulfilled in your hearing you know this he's saying to them you've read in Isaiah that a time is coming when a banner will be raised and uh, all the nations will be welcome to come because uh, of the failings that you have uh, made in stewarding this, the things that God has given you. So who are we in this story? We think we need to be a little bit careful here, don't we? Because it's by this extension of invitation that the church exists, that, that Jesus has opened a way that all can come in. He has taken that authority. But I think it's right for us not just to feel smug and say, well, we obviously are the, the we're obviously the first son, aren't we? We're the ones that maybe weren't welcome initially, but now thanks to the um, generosity of, of, of God opening up his kingdom to all who trust in Jesus and all who recognise his authority and all who make that decision that we come. But I think there is still a point where we need to look at our own lives and say what are we actually doing how are we actually behaving which of these two sons most reflects our own behavior are we the ones who say the right things and know what's expected of us who go to the right meetings but actually don't follow through or are we the ones who in our hearts commit uh, to doing the right thing these two sons one says the right thing and the other does the right thing and there's a real difference isn't there in motivation I think between the one who wants to be seen to be doing the right thing and the one actually who wants to please God in a deep way in the secret places and it's reassuring I think to say what does this tell us about God 
What is it that the Father wants? That's the question that Jesus asked. What is it that the Father wants? And that question so motivated Jesus. He, uh, you can imagine him pretty much his only prayer every day was, Father, what is it that you want? And I think even in that we can learn that we want to be like the son whose life is directed by the hunger for the answer to that question. Father, what is it that you want? And this is the character of God. He is a God who doesn't mind if we get it wrong sometimes. He's more than happy to come after us and to find us and restore us and rebuild us. But he does require us to make a choice about how we respond. And he wants us to respond at that deep innermost level, not on a surface level. He wants us to be motivated by pleasing him, not pleasing those that are looking at the outside of our lives. He's not interested in people that do the right thing but turn then uh, turn away. He's interested in the people whose hearts are right before him. So this morning I think it's right that we we consider our own responses and our own reactions. So it could be that you have never made a decision, you have never felt close to God, but there is that moment. However many times you've said, no, I will not, this morning God says to you, at any moment I am open to adopting new children who decide to do the right thing and step into his plan and provision that that offer is open. And what he wants us to do and to be is to be a people who bear fruit because that's at the heart of it. That was why he was so cross with um, those teachers of the law that they that they were not producing fruit, that 10 acres, it says in Isaiah 5, just produced a cupful of wine. And he promised that there would be a time when the vineyards would be given over to a people who bear fruit. And that kind of puts a responsibility on our shoulders that if we are saying yes to God, if we're saying that we want to to say yes and be that son who does the work that is being asked of us, well, the work that is being asked of us is to be fruitful. And what does it look like to be fruitful? Fruitful personally and fruitful as a community and as a church. Well, we know this, the fruits of the spirit. We should be people and a church and a community that abound in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. We should be a people who are fruitful because our hearts long to say yes to the Father. And so this morning, as we close, I'd like just to uh, bring a verse from uh, Joel uh, chapter 2 and verse 12 uh, so that we can pray. Even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. Rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate slow to anger and abounding in love. So let us pray. Lord God, we thank you for all that you are. We thank you that you are gracious, that you are compassionate, that you are slow to anger and abounding in love. Lord Jesus, we thank you that by your sacrifice, you have made a way that all can come into the kingdom of God. We thank you, Father, that by your spirit, you call us to be fruitful in that kingdom. 
And Lord God, we want to be a people who have hearts turned to you. Lord God, would you fill our hearts with that question? What is it that you want, Father? Make us hungry for you and quick to obey. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Amen. Yeah. Mm-hmm.